Good afternoon. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Greg, you made it back in time. I did, and I didn't get, well, I don't know if I got a speeding ticket. I guess I'll be watching my mail for the next seven to nine days oh, no. if I don't, if I broke any laws getting here. Traffic wasn't too, too bad coming from the mall, but any time of day you go through that Keniston Common area, you have to be prepared for major slowdowns. It wasn't horrible whatsoever. Really? Neat to see the big top up. It's the first time I've seen it with my own two eyes. Seen oh, it yes. from, of course, from the traffic helicopter, but uh, looking forward to going to the big show tonight, the debut the launch of Cirque du Soleil, Curios, Cabinet of Curiosities. I know you're going. A few of us are going here from 680 CJB and from Global. We're going to give away tickets later on this afternoon as well. I think we have one pair left, correct? Our final pair of tickets will go this afternoon at some point, likely after 3 o'clock. And indeed, uh, we will be there this evening for the opening Show, it's running tonight until July 9th, so plenty of opportunities to see what I'm certain will be a spectacular show. I've never been, I mean, I've never, make it sound like I've, I've been to Cirque du Soleil a whole bunch of times. I make it a regular habit. I've been to Cirque du Soleil twice, once in Vegas and once in Winnipeg. Both of them were amazing. So you're going to get the full, the like kind of the trioka of experiences, right? The Vegas experience, the traveling show at uh, the arena, mm-hmm. and now you're going to see it under the big top, which was sort of the way it was intended or originated, right? That's so right. you will see it in its uh, many forms, three different shows, uh, in three different venues. I'm fairly envious of you, my friend. Completing the Trinity for Cirque. So that's going to be exciting. Although a little concerned we're going to walk out of the, the the big top into uh, a storm. Yes, we do have <laughs> what would be considered thunderstorm watches in effect. Now those are starting in southwestern Manitoba around Brandon, large hail and damaging winds are possible late this afternoon and this evening. And uh, weather doesn't tend to just peter out in an isolated spot. It tends to move. We'll keep it We'll keep our eye on it, and we'll keep you informed here on 680 CJOB as we move towards the evening hours. And uh, Tristan Field-Jones looks like he won the lottery. Speaking of lotteries and the Tri-Hospital Dream Lottery, uh, he looks like he won the lottery today as there is the possibility of some major activity in the sky tonight. Tristan is our resident storm chaser, so he does tend to get a little excited and we don't I mean that with the greatest respect uh, you know he his command his uh, knowledge of storms is impressive and he is our resource on the subject of severe weather so if there if there were to be a situation where there were some violent storms Tristan would be our guy to go out into the field to brave the weather to get as close to the situation as safely possible to bring the information to you Walmart asks hmm. workers to go extra mile to compete with Amazon. That is the headline. I'll just read the first line of this article. In its latest effort to compete with online giant Walmart, online giant Amazon, Walmart is testing a delivery service using its own store employees who will deliver packages ordered online while driving home from their regular work shifts. Hey, Greg, uh, on your way home, do you think you can just make a pit stop in the Maples to drop off a package? There's just uh, five boxes here. Sure, Brett. I'll, I'll, get, I'll get right on that. Okay. No problem. Are you going to pay me for that, Brett? Uh, probably. Well, 
I wouldn't, but is I'm not. <laughs> but yeah, I know you wouldn't. But I, I do believe that. Uh, well, here, what did what, what did Walmart well, Walmart say about says it? Uh, the associate delivery program would use Walmart's 4,700 U.S. stores and roughly 1.2 million employees to speed delivery and cut costs. The company said Thursday. The announcement came just a day before the company's annual meeting. That's happening today in Bentonville, Arkansas. Walmart has stores. This is fascinating, Brad. They have stores within 10 miles of 90% of the U.S. population. Now imagine all the routes our associates drive to and from work and the houses they pass along the way. This is very romantic mm-hmm. telling of, of lore by Mark Lore from CEO of Walmart. Um they have a very dense web of potential delivery locations for the company. All those employees driving home represent this dense web. Employees who want to participate will be able to use an app to specify how many packages they are willing to deliver. Mm-hmm. Now, they, they did say that workers can choose to participate and would be paid. The service is being tested at two stores in New Jersey, one in Arkansas, and they said that they would they would not, however, provide details about how workers would be paid, but said that the company would comply with all federal and state minimum wage and overtime laws. So far, and here's a quote from Walmart, so far employees, quote, love having the option to earn more cash while doing something that's already part of their daily commute. Yeah, I, I stop at several houses on my way home. I don't I'm an entrepreneur. I like the idea of giving people the opportunity to earn more money. They're not saying how much. Amazon is obviously a formidable opponent in the retail space for Walmart. I tip my hat to their ingenuity to think this way and to say, hey, we've got this resource of a million plus people, but their track record for treating those people super well isn't outstanding. Let's be honest about it. And not only that, but these... uh Somebody who is, like, let's say, for example, and I I realize this is a broad generalization here, but let's say you've got a 17-year-old kid who works at the cashier, works at the cash front, and uh, decides, well, maybe I'll take a few packages. But these, this isn't a person who is, whose job is delivery. This isn't a postal worker. This isn't a courier. This is whose livelihood is getting packages to and fro. This is just someone who is trying to make an extra buck. And again, that's the generalization. I'm not suggesting that every single person who works at Walmart is a 17-year-old dude. But I, if I had a package coming my way, I would feel better about it knowing that it's in the hands of a professional company whose entire livelihood is in the business of delivering packages. And not to suggest that they don't get it wrong either. We hear horror stories of, sure. of packages being left in tattered shape on your your front stoop. But still, I, I would. I don't know that I uh, would endorse this particular. And I don't know if it's the media painting it in a certain fashion and putting a headline on it. Maybe there is a more formalized program that they're rolling out here. But I'm thinking like you, right? I, I mean, I don't know if anybody would want me popping by the house on the way home to drop off their prize package that they won. I, it just, it just, I don't know. It seems a little weird. And we actually just got a text message uh, from someone who identifies himself or herself as a male, or no, himself, because it's male man, uh, male man, Randy, here in regards to the Walmart employees having to deliver their parcels, leave it to us, the people who get paid 
to do it. So Randy, echoing my sentiment just as I was providing it, I do, you said that you applaud their ingenuity, and they are right. One of the things, like I don't spend a whole lot of time in the United States, but the one thing I noticed on our road trip is there are Walmarts everywhere. You can go to a rest stop, which is just designed to be a rest stop and a Walmart. I think their stores are intended to be within a hub of, if you've got 5,000 people within a certain distance, uh, their intention is to put a Walmart. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they absolutely dominate. Uh, this is uh, some critics of Walmart's uh, labor practices question how voluntary such a program will be. And that is probably the larger issue I have with it. How much pressure are you going to be under to volunteer mm-hmm. for this program, quote unquote, when so many workers are paid so little that they need government assistance to make ends meet. It becomes a necessity, not a choice, to do what they can to earn more, said Randy Peraz, director of Making Change at Walmart, a group funded by the United Food and Commercial Workers. So there's uh, all sorts of sides to this, but my initial reaction, I think, and yours were, were fairly simpler on this one. What's your reaction to this at 204-780-6868? Do you like this idea that Walmart is testing using their own store employees in the United States to deliver online orders. So you order something from Walmart online, and instead of it coming to you via the Postal Service or from some courier company, it's in the back seat potentially of some 16-year-old's Chevette. When's the last time you saw a Chevette? <laughs> it's been a while. A friend of mine had a little... Oh, you know what? Actually, no, he had an Acadian. He had the Pontiac equivalent. Oh, well, that was a step up from the Chevette. (laughs) He had a black Acadian, and it was a piece of garbage because I think it was already 20 years too old. My buddy Jared had a Chevette. His nickname was Chet back in the day, and so we called it the Chet Vet. And when we were out, you know, mingling with members of the office at SEC, (laughs) we would suggest that Jared had a vet. (laughs) We certainly wouldn't tell them what kind and that we couldn't drive them home. Because, you know, we come together, we leave together, but we can meet them, you know, because Jared has a vet. And everybody knows a Corvette only has two seats. We had it all figured out. (laughs) And then we took the Chet vet to Calgary. Yeah, that was quite the adventure, but uh, I digress. Uh, Chevette, I don't know where you took that out of. That's fantastic. Here, I love here's it. another funny Chevette story, and this is, has nothing to do with this, but we were, when I was, uh, I don't know, I want to say 10 years old, we were going to see something at the arena. My friend's dad was taking us all to some show that it was at the arena. I don't know if it was Ice Capades or what it was. It was something like that. And uh, we're we're going up Portage Avenue, and this fire truck is comes blowing by us. So we're piled into this Chevette. There's like six of us in this car, and he says, hang on, boys. And he, he we followed the, the fire truck at full speed, so we were it. running red lights in this little Chevette. <laughs> great memory, though. We'll uh, get your opinion on this Walmart move and this uh, pilot project that may be coming to a Walmart store near you, or uh, Chevette stories, whatever you prefer. When we come back following uh, your latest forecast here on 680 CJOB, he's Brett, I'm Greg. Loving that forecast for Sunday. Here's hoping it holds out because I have not been to Kingswood in LaSalle since May 7th, I think. My goodness. We're talking about Walmart and how they want to use their own employees to drop off packages ordered online on their way home from work.
They say that they'll pay them, it'll be voluntary, and they'll be paid according to minimum wage laws in whatever state they're doing this in. Want to know what you're thinking about this? We'll start with Faye at 204-780-6868. Hi, Faye. Hi. Um, so, like, my concern with the Walmart thing is, you know, like you said, if it's a 16-year-old kid or whatever, but, like, what if it's a, a grown adult? Like, I don't want some strangers showing up at my house. Are these people going to be screened and vetted? Are they going to have some sort of background checks to make sure they're not, you know, serial killers or axe murderers or racists or something? Because i got a house full of young kids. I don't want strangers just showing up to deliver a package that haven't been properly vetted. That's a great point. I never, I never thought about it, and that's why we put the questions to you so that you can provide us with perspective that we may not have come up with. So, Faye, thank you so much for that. We appreciate it. Yeah, take care, guys. Thanks. All right. Thank you, Faye. And up next is Danny. Hey, Danny, what do you think about this? Hey, guys. You know, I, just, I have to laugh because in this, this Walmart family, they, they, you know, they're bringing in like $130 billion with a B. They're on the Forbes list. and you can't pay your employees to deliver a package. There's so many legalities in there. You're deliver- what if you're delivering the package to get into an accident or something? Then there's a liability issue. Then the employee's got to try to sue the company because technically if you're delivering a package, you're on company time. Making people deliver volunteer, if you don't volunteer, is there a threat of losing your job? Like mm-hmm. These guys can afford to pay these people and pay them properly. A lot of, from the research I've done, I'm seeing that there's a lot of people who work, you know, for the company in the States that are, you know, barely, are almost at the poverty line or if not on it, just barely over it. And I think that's wrong. I mean, you guys have enough money. If you treat your employees well and pay them well, you will get the best out of your employees, or at least you should. Danny, great points. And the one point we do want to emphasize, the workers will be paid, but they're willingness to be a delivery person is voluntary. So they will be paid. They're not saying by how much. And the other issues that you raise, I think, are very good ones. Well, and there's wear and tear on the cars, too, and gas. I mean, mm-hmm. come on. Yeah, no, there's a whole lot more to this than just, uh, yeah, you want to drop this off at 335 Main Street on your way home, Brett. Thank you very much. I, I appreciate <laughs> it. Thanks, Danny. Great to hear your voice, as always. After, okay. a lo- after a long, busy day, people are always cheery and happy to do more. LOL. Uh, wrong. Uh, coming on text at 780-6868. We also have a text here from Cam who says, well, you guys know I am a professional courier. I take my job seriously. Yes, we make mistakes from time to time. We're only human. No one's perfect. But to leave it up to a company like Walmart to deliver your goods, I don't think is the best way. Dean says, why not? If an employee can make a few extra dollars on his or her way home, good for them. I'm sure there would still be protocol in order. It's no... Less crazy than a pizza delivery. And hey, a pizza box is a lot easier to open and tamper with than a box of cereal. That's an interesting point, Dean. I was going to order pizza tomorrow night. Maybe not now. Uh, I'm sweetie. I I love how personal some of these text messages can get. I guess this is pointed at Faye. Uh, They are complete strangers that come to your door, be it professional company or not. And sadly, even the professionals aren't screened the way you would like. Just saying. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a text that's in relation to our other conversation, where, which was about Chevette's. Someone says, oh, memories of Chevette's. Ha ha, our friends was red, and he painted the rims red, and he was quickly dubbed the Tomato Cruiser. 
Hadn't thought of old Robbie in years. Thanks for the smile. You're welcome, and thank you for the text for letting us know about the Tomato Cruiser. I want to see it. That sounds like a fun car. Send us a picture or a slide or whatever <laughs> form. There may be a record of this uh, machine. Hey, Brett, I don't have a problem with Walmart's idea. If the package is damaged, the onus is totally on Walmart instead of Pure Later bra- blaming the shipper or Walmart blaming the courier. And it does cut out a little bit of the middleman, I guess, to a certain se- uh, sense. Thanks, Blair. Appreciate that. And on the subject of Walmart's return policy, exchange policy, they'll... I mean, they, they do take back virtually anything. I've never had a problem returning anything to Walmart. They just, you got the bill? You don't have the bill? Here, <laughs> well, here you go. Well, uh, here, just go get a new one. So, I yeah, I wouldn't have any problem or any lack of confidence in Walmart stepping up to the plate for ownership on that sense. But as far as the labor issue goes, I don't know that, I, that I'm okay with it just being their, an extension of their hourly wage. If you were to say... You get, say, 20 bucks a, a package or something on your way home. That might, or 30 bucks a package, that might entice me as a Walmart employee to say, okay, you know what, I'll take a couple of hours after my shift and do this. Because then it's actually worth my time. For doing it for whatever my minimum wage is, I'm not sure that that would be enough for me. I'm scouring my brain here just to think about all the different liability issues that Walmart is trying to skirt or that they'd be dealing with or that would be stuck in the lap of employees that get into accidents that maybe cause damage while they're dropping off a package. Oh, you ran over my planter. You broke my sprinkler. Well, who's going to be responsible for all that? It it, it changes the dynamic. You know, we're talking about the professional de- delivery people. Uh those companies have taken care of all of that, right? That's part of their business plan. That's part of their operation. They know that they're going to deal with phone calls like that from time to time. I don't know if Walmart's uh, thinking that far ahead, or they are, and they're trying to dump it on somebody else. Up next, it's the first leg of the Accidental Fitness Friday with Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB. Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling. It's... The Accidental Fitness Friday edition of our show. I didn't plan it this way. It just kind of worked out this way, Brett. That's right. We At 3.30, we're going to talk about National Health and Fitness Day, which is tomorrow. At 2 o'clock, we're talking about the Commuter Challenge, which starts Sunday. And right now, we want to talk about the annual open house for the Winnipeg Rowing Club. And we are joined live in studio by Sheila Wilson-Cole, who is a longtime member of the Winnipeg Rowing Club, a member of the board, competitive master's athlete. You know, before we do anything else, what does that mean, master's athlete? Master's athlete? athlete? Uh, For rowing, that typically means someone who is age 27 and over. So once you've maybe done some of the rowing through the senior program, the junior, which is the younger age groups, and you decide, hey, I want to keep on competing, you can uh, join up with the master's rowing and compete there. And uh, for master's rowing, what they do is they add a handicap on. So the older you get, you actually get a little bit faster each year you get older. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) I like the sounds of that. Tell me more about that (laughs) concept. Yeah, so uh, as you get to about 50, 55, you can actually get quite a big handicap over those who are, you know, about 30 years old and uh, win the races even if you don't finish first. All right, so I like the sound of that. How much of, uh, how necessary is the handicap? Because I know that uh, rowing, like people who row are in fantastic shape. So does the age play that significant a role where the handicap is necessary? Um, it, to some extent, but at the same time, you do find that those who are in their 40s and 50s and into their 60s, they've been rowing a very long time. 
And there is quite a bit of technique that's also required when you do get into the competitive rowing. So they can still be quite fast and they're not necessarily slowing down. I'm thinking specific muscles and muscle memory are a huge part of being successful in rowing. And just relaxing in the boat. And so you know how to do that when you've been rowing for 20 or 30 years. I guess the quicker that something becomes second nature, the more quickly that you can become successful at it. Yeah, exactly. And you've been through a lot of different situations Uh, when you've raced a lot. There's always things that happen when you're lining up and getting set to start. So you're used to all that stuff. So what got you into rowing? Well, for me, rowing always intrigued me. I always enjoyed watching it uh, on the Olympics and thinking that would be a great sport to try. And I loved being on the water. I grew up at the lake. And shortly after I met my husband, uh, I discovered that he was rowing with the rec program, the rowing club. And so I thought, hey, let's go check this out. So I signed up for a Learn to Row. Then I joined the recreation program there. And then from there, uh, one of my friends that I was rowing with said, hey, let's try compete. And away I went. And that was about 10 years ago. That's fantastic. Now, the, uh, the, the, you mentioned Learn to Row. That mm-hmm. is something that is happening this weekend, right, at the open house? Yeah, we've got tomorrow. It's an open house, so anybody can just come by between noon and 4, drop by. You can check out the club on 20 Lindale Drive, check out the facilities, the boats, and there's also an opportunity to get into a quad with a couple of experienced rowers and get out on the river and see just what it's all about. Now, you're not talking about a quad like an ATV. You're talking nope. about a boat that <laughs> yeah. seats four people. A boat that seats four people and a quad you use two oars each, so it's called sculling in that case. Uh, we also have something that's called a four where you would sweep and that's you're just holding one oar. So you see that in the big men's eights and the women's eights. That's called sweeping, where they have a coxie as well, steering the boat. Now, Brett, you've done the dragon boat racing. Do you do the the paddling? Did you call it sweeping, Sheila? Like a, a, sculling, or and, a sculling would be with two, yeah. and then the sweeping would be one paddle and two hands. What do you do in a dragon boat, just for comparison for people? Uh, it's with one paddle, two hands. I don't know what the actual... If, I don't remember the, either of those terms. I guess uh, we paddling for dragon boat and, and rowing or rowing. Yeah, so it's uh, it's just basically more like it's a lot of people sort of when they first do dragon boating, they kind of end up mixing it up with uh, like a, how you would paddle a canoe, right? Yeah. So yeah. why what's the difference there between paddling in, in a canoe where you're out for a leisurely stroll yeah. on the water, so to speak, versus a dragon boat, which is a, a, almost the same. They look very similar, right? The paddles, the paddles, yeah. The canoeing and uh, dragon boating is a little bit more similar in terms of you do have a paddle, the strokes just a bit different. Uh, with rowing, your oars are quite a bit longer, so that's one difference. And also, you're going backwards in rowing. So, uh, you know, in canoeing, dragon boat, you're going forward, whereas in rowing, you're going backwards. So it's a very unique sport that you can actually see when you're winning and see those trying to catch up to you. Now, do you call it a boat, I guess? Yeah, a, a sculling <laughs> shell or rowing shell. It looks, when I'm watching the Olympics or other games, it looks as though it's very shallow it's not a very deep shell no as you're saying how, how and how much of it sits in the water is it sit pretty much on top of the water it's at least six to eight inches above the water maybe a little bit more okay. certainly on the single uh shells you are kind of sitting on top of the boat whereas in the quads and the eights you're more you're in, it. in the boat okay yeah so you say that all rowing is backward. If I if I yep. say I'm I'm doing in some sort of a rowing event, you're you're going backwards. You are going backwards unless you're the coxie. Then oh. you of course are going forwards generally. What are the different sports involved with rowing? Um, in terms of, I guess maybe not sports, but what are the different kinds of boats that one might use? 
Uh, you can row a single, so just with one person. There's a double. There's a pair, which is uh, quite a difficult boat. So that's just one or each in a pair. Mm. And then the quad and the four and the eight. It's got eight rowers plus the coxie in there. Why is it backwards? Why not forwards? Do you know? No, it's a good question. Yeah. Just, it's kind of the way it was set up. And, I think kinesiology has yeah. dictated that that's just the <laughs> way you kind of really get going there. Yeah. And of course, your seats, are they stationary or do they move at all? They roll. So they are on four wheels. Oh, the just, just to make yep. it even more yep. interesting for you. And you've got runners that are in the boat. So that's where your, your feet are in these runners and they stay stationary. And then the seat moves back and forth. So similar if you've been on an indoor rowing machine, it's that same type of a concept. On the subject of the indoor rowing machine, what do you do in the off-season to, to maintain your technique other than that typical rowing machine that you might see in a gym? Yeah, we do quite a bit on the indoor rowing machines, but we do try to mix it up because it's a lot of the same moment uh, movement. Um, so, for example, might get out cross-country skiing or swimming, and there's lots of uh, weight training as well for those who are more on the competitive side of things. So people might be asking, they might be wondering, even saying out loud, Oh, this is an elitist sport. This isn't for everyday people. I mean, there's no way I could get involved in this. No, no, not at all. I think if you go back, you know, decades, that was kind of the uh, the sense of what rowing was all about, but no longer. Um, there's lots of different people involved in rowing. You can be different heights. So you don't necessarily have to be six feet tall. You can be on the shorter side and, and still row um, and fit into the equipment. So no problem there. And it's all about really you know, uh, pushing your own weight across the water. So, and different ages as well. We have members from about 13, 14, all the way up to 80. And he still gets out and rows a single shell. So there's, you know, age is not an obstacle. Size is not an obstacle. So come out and try it. Do, uh, when somebody goes out on a, in their single shell, for example, can they bring their own or is it, uh, is it all sort of rental equipment? How does that work? Uh, the club has quite a bit of equipment, so members get to use all of that equipment. There are some members that do buy their own rowing shell and store it there, but uh, they're fairly long, so you do need a special storage spot for the boats. So I guess if I wanted, if I did go out and buy my own shell, I would need a, a truck or something to... To carry, to transport yeah. <laughs> it to the club. Yeah, uh, a shell, a single shell is about 26 to 30 feet long. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. <laughs> just throw it on your shoulder and walk from home and just take yeah. it take it down to the river. So uh, that's the other side of this. You know, never mind the idea that it might be elitist. The whole idea of we're doing this in Winnipeg, you mm-hmm. know, because our relationship with the river is a little bit tenuous at times, right? Uh, some people have one view of the river and then others absolutely adore being on the water water. We know where you fit. Maybe sell us on that idea of being on the river. I think, you know, the river really is a lot better than I think a lot of people believe it is. Um, And it's great to actually get out on the river and you realize that it's it's mostly fairly silty water. Um, And so you're on the river, you don't get splashed that much. And I think you see a different side of it. You see um, all the the riverbanks with the trees and there's deer out there and foxes and uh, eagles. So it's just nice to see a different side of Winnipeg that I think a lot of people don't see. You mentioned splashing. Is yeah. that one concern that people that have never done it before, yeah. they bring up yeah, getting people, splashed people by people the do Red get, River like, oh my water. gosh, I don't want to get splashed. But you know what? Uh, so far, no one, uh, no one's uh, had anything happen to them in terms no of getting splashed. Down? No, <laughs> no. I know they've tested the water as well because it was just last year and it's... Uh, Sheila Wilson-Cole is our guest. She is a longtime member of the Winnipeg Rowing Club, member of the board, competitive master's athlete, and there is 
the annual open house tomorrow, Saturday, June 3rd, 20 Lindale Drive. It's a drop-in situation between 12 and 4 p.m. And we mentioned the the Fitness Friday aspect. How effective is rowing in terms of fitness? Rowing is amazing. It's probably one of your like top 10 sports for just overall fitness. So it's somewhat similar to cross-country skiing. Uh, it's very low impact, and it's a full-body workout. And the other interesting thing about rowing is most people think it's arms. So you see them at the gym on mm. the indoor rowing machine, and they're pulling really hard with their arms. But the reality is it's actually mostly legs. It's using those big uh, leg muscles to uh, propel the boat. So, so we have quite a, a lineage of superstar rowers that come from yeah. this part of the world. We've visited, in fact, with Janine Stevens mm-hmm. and, of course, with uh, with Jeff Powell, who have performed marvelously yeah. on, on the world stage. We, we do pretty well on that front in this part of the world, don't we, don't we Sheila? We do. We do. We've had a number of Manitobans uh, represent Canada on the national team, and they're just a couple. We also had uh, last year Megan Montgomery. She was on the uh, adaptive rowing team, and they, uh, I believe they won a bronze medal. Well, that's interesting that we would have so many people who do mm-hmm. so well, given our climate, that, that Greg referenced, we have an odd yeah. relationship with the water. Is it because the, the, the access to the water when during the summer months is so accessible? It's so like the Red River goes throughout the entire city. Yeah. Does that play a role? I think that certainly helps. I mean, it's very unique location where we are. If you go to a lot of other clubs, they are on a small lake. So they have to turn around frequently or in parts of Vancouver, you're kind of fighting with some big boats where Mm. they row. So it's, you know, it's very special where we are that you can get on the red and just row uh, upstream and, you know, you don't have to turn around for quite a ways unless, of course, you want to come back. (laughs) Now you have a real special treat uh, waiting for you when you do your you know, your daily rows, if we want yeah. to call it that, because of the time of day that you do it. You were conveying to us off air that... If you've not been on the river, not only the mm-hmm. perspective, but time of day is uh, is a real gift, real special time for rowers. Yeah, it is. And a lot of uh, the more competitive rowers do go out in the mornings and it is, you know, amazing to be out there on the water. The sun is just coming up and a lot of times there's not a lot of wind, so it's very calm. Um, but as well, we do have a lot of uh, rowers that go out in the evenings too. So after work at, you know, 5.30, 6.30, they go out as well, so they get to catch the sunset as they're getting off the water. This is probably going to strike you as an odd question, but I remember one thing in particular, and I should preface this with an an apology, by the way, for confusing uh, Dragon Boat, which is paddling, uh, with rowing. I didn't realize that they were different. That's why we bring experts in to tell us uh, all the ways that we're wrong. But uh, one of the things that I did notice when I was in a boat was there was a, a, we were visited frequently by horse flies, in the river. Is that something that you've ever encountered? No, actually. I don't think I've encountered any horse flies. Occasional mosquito will find its way onto the river, but that's usually just when you're docking. Okay. You're closer to that's shore. That's why then. you go backwards, yeah. is to avoid the <laughs> dragonflies. So you just well, solved well, it. Well, not dragonflies, horse flies. Oh, horse flies. Yeah. Either way, you're not facing them. 
Maybe that, I don't know. Maybe that's it. That, <laughs> you just have to go fast enough and they can't fast. catch you. <laughs> exactly. That way they can't catch you. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to just pause our conversation for a moment and check your forecast. Sheila Wilson-Cole is a longtime member of the Winnipeg Rowing Club, telling us about the open house, which is happening tomorrow, and we'll find out a little bit more about what is actually happening at the open house tomorrow, right after your forecast up next. Sheila Wilson-Cole is our guest. She is a longtime member of the Winnipeg Rowing Club, and the Rowing Club's annual open house is this weekend. It's at 20 Lindale Drive, which maybe, by the way, for those who might not know where that is, mm-hmm. where, how does one get there? Uh, if you go over the Norwood Bridge down to St. Mary's, and uh, there's Lindale is right after the bridge. It's just in behind uh, Poulins. Okay, so it's like sort of by yeah. the Santa Lucia there. Yeah, yes, exactly. Norwood Community Center. You yeah. might have been at a social once or a mm-hmm. dozen times Played in your lifetime. And, yeah, it's yeah. great stuff. Good spot. So uh, you are a master's athlete, which we learned was 27 and older. You are still competing, and you were telling us that it takes you all over the planet. Yeah, if you want, you can go to competitions uh, outside of Canada and the U.S., and including in Europe. So uh, three friends and myself last year went to Copenhagen for the World Masters competition, and it was an amazing experience with mm-hmm. close to 3,000 Competitors, all different ages, you know, up to age ninety-two. So it's, it's ninety-two it's, years it's amazing. old. Yeah, yeah, it gets a little bit harder to field an eight with, uh, yeah, you know, those in their eighties and nineties. But <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just phenomenal. Like that's how long you can uh, stay in this sport. So, and, and this is you don't have to win your way into these competitions. No, no, it's for masters rowing. It's just a matter of signing up and away you go. So it's oh, kind of a way you could like build a vacation around yep. that. Yeah, exactly. What so, was Copenhagen like in terms of uh, the facilities and, and the type of oh, yeah. uh, water that you rode on it there? It was amazing. They had a beautiful lake there oh, and uh, a really great course. And we lucked out with the weather. It was around 22, 24 degrees and sunny, which for Copenhagen in September, it's not always the case. The community rowing challenge. We yeah. want to throw that down, throw mm-hmm. it out there for us. Yeah, so we have a community rowing challenge, and that's for businesses, you know, friends, family, whoever wants to put a team in of four people. And that starts, uh, practices start at the end of June, and they go for about eight weeks. And then we have a fun little regatta on August 26th on a Saturday in the morning. So you get to test out your skills in a uh, short race, and it's a lot of fun. It's just amazing to see people, you know, take that up. They really don't know how to row at all. They haven't been on the water, and after eight weeks, they're able to race. How do you get involved in that? For that, you can go to our website at winnipegrowingclub.ca, and there's information there under programs, and we're still taking sign-ups to the end of June. Well, and it's it's not only does it sound fun because of all that stuff, but it's just fun to say regatta. Mm-hmm. It's, yep. just, it's a great way to describe it, the championship regatta. Yep. So. Yeah. Where are you going today, Brett? I'm going to the regatta. Thank you. <laughs> Perfect. So I'll sign you guys up. <laughs> yeah, we'll be there. Uh, we'll be there this weekend, too, for the open house uh, for the Winnipeg Rowing Club. Outstanding stuff. Thank you so much, Sheila. We appreciate your time, and uh, we look forward to keeping in touch with you uh, throughout the summer. Okay, thank you. Again, the drop-in anytime tomorrow between 12 and 4 p.m. at 20 Lindale Drive, the Winnipeg Rowing Club annual open house. Sheila Wilson-Cole is a longtime member of the Winnipeg Rowing Club, member of the board and a competitive master's athlete and was our guest today. So, Sheila, thanks for coming in. Nice to meet you. Yeah. Your forecast for Cottage Country is coming up right away. So the record has been broken. 32 degrees. 
32.3? Was that the record? Yeah, 32.2. Uh, so at the beginning of the newscast, it was 33. So it's kind of wavering between 32 and 33. Okay, but we gotcha. reached it. We reached 33, at least here at Polo Park. So as Woo-hoo. far as we're concerned, the record has been broken. <laughs> I like the way you think, Brett McGarry. And this had me thinking on the way into the station today. You know, inevitably we hear stories about pets being left in cars. Uh, you don't want to do that today. And oh you want to God. think about your kids as well, not leaving them, you know, to run into the store or anything like that. Take the extra time, unbuckle them out of the seat belt or out of their safety seats, bring them in with you. It's simply not worth taking the chance. And uh, that's my public safety message on the heat as we make our way through this afternoon. And uh, it's become Fitness Friday, as you mentioned, Brett McGarry, <laughs> very unintentionally. And in fact, when we visit with Dr. Cyrus Dirksen in about a half hour's time, we're going to talk about being a fanatic of a sports team or a rock band or certain types of comics and movies. So we'll talk about fanaticism, uh, not that kind. We're going to talk about being a fanatic a little bit later on this afternoon. But right now we are going to discuss the commuter challenge. It starts Sunday in our city. Elizabeth Shearer is commuter challenge coordinator with the Green Action Center. This is something that's been going on Winnipeg for a long time. Elizabeth, how long has it been going on, the Commuter Challenge? I believe this is our 14th year um, participating in Commuter Challenge in Canada. Well, we appreciate you taking some time with us to give us some insight. And we wanted to have you on today because technically the challenge starts on Sunday. So how can people make sure they're ready to go on Sunday and probably really putting some miles on starting for the commute on Monday morning? Yeah, well, it's definitely important to plan your route, plan ahead. I mean, today is a beautiful sunny day, and it looks like it's going to be sunny next week. So it's a great uh, opportunity to bust out your bicycle um, and get your or get a bus pass and uh, participate in Commuter Challenge. So we get started on Sunday, June 4th. And for those of you who don't know what Commuter Challenge is, it's a national challenge, again, starting 14 years ago. So workplaces and individuals across Manitoba are invited to sign up for the challenge. And during uh, uh, the next week, Canadians are encouraged to use more sustainable modes of transportation. So it's actually National Environment Week in Canada. So we're encouraging people to do anything like carpool, transit, cycle, walk, um, uh, even telecommute. Tell, what's telecommute again? Telecommute is staying home for work. Oh, <laughs> that's <laughs> uh, a fancy so way to say it. The fancy way to say I'm sitting in the couch in my robe and uh, yeah. maybe I'll crack open the laptop while I'm watching Netflix. Well, if you think about your commute every day, if you're driving uh, alone every day, it's something to consider. Um, it's not obviously available to everyone as an option at their workplace, but we encourage people to um, discuss it with their management and see if it's an opportunity option for them to explore that during commuter challenge. Dur- during, during the week, we challenge people to do something a little bit more sustainable than they normally do. So if they normally drive alone, Invite someone into your car for a carpool, try transit, like I said, bust out that bicycle that's been sitting in your garage, walk car and uh, and take transit. So there's lots of ways to make it a little bit more sustainable. Not, not everyone's going to be able to work from home, but there's lots of ways to avoid uh, greenhouse gas emissions and, car- and, and decrease your carbon footprint during Commuter Challenge. I think we just found out why Mackling and McGarry does not take place anywhere else other than in the studios at 680 CJOB. But I think there's a popular consensus out there, Elizabeth, that the commuter challenge simply has to do with walking and biking. Uh, It can also involve, as you just mentioned, carpooling and, and transit as well. 
Mm-hmm, definitely. I mean, active transportation is a great way to benefit from the health benefits of a more sustainable transportation. So um, walking and biking are a great way to uh, decrease your carbon footprint and, and be healthy and be active. But another uh, great way to, you know, lessen your carbon footprint is by taking transit, public transit and uh, carpooling. So you're not just one person in one vehicle. Now, and if you want more information, by the way, you listening to this radio station, you can go to commuterchallenge.ca and not .com, as I wrote on your sheet there, Greg. I, I, I typed in commuterchallenge.com and I got some sort of a, a warning from the chorus security, web security. So don't go to .com, .ca. But there's another website I wanted to ask you about, Elizabeth, which is bikewalkroll.org. Can you tell us about that website? Well, we do have a program with Green Action Centre that does focus on active and safe routes to school for kids, and we just had Bike Month. So they were doing all sorts of programs with students and um, schools all over the city. Um, But for Community Challenge, we focus on workplaces and individuals. Um, One place that you can go for all sorts of environmentally friendly um, things like waste reduction and uh, active transportation things, you can go to greenactioncenter.ca, whether you're uh, a parent at home with children wanting to green your lifestyle or a person at work wanting to bring more environmental practices into uh, your daily uh, grind. Uh, there's lots of information you can get from us from greenactioncenter.ca. And so this goes beyond transportation, right? This goes beyond just uh, getting to work and and back home. It has to do with what you're doing in and around the house, the different things that you might do to add to the sustainability of our planet uh, without sanding too corny. (laughs) Well, Green Action Centre promotes... We're kind of a green living hub in Manitoba. We're a non-profit, non-governmental organization, and our primary areas of work are with green commuting, composting, race reduction, sustainable living, and resource conservation. So there's lots of elements and aspects of life that contribute to a sustainable lifestyle. But every year we also host this commuter challenge event so people can try out new sustainable ways of commuting to work and um, and getting, getting from A to B. Just looking at commuterchallenge.ca, and there's something here that says a new challenge is happening this year as well, the Faith Commuter Challenge. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so the uh, people that run the commuterchallenge.ca website have partnered with a faith-based community um, network in Canada as well who wanted to try a new challenge. So this is a a bit separate than the Commuter Challenge, but anyone who uh, uh, practices a faith or... um, commutes to their faith um, uh, center um, will be able to, they're, they're encouraging their, um, their network or their community to also participate in this green commuting challenge. So it's a bit separate than what we work on with Green Action Center, but we um, are really excited that there's lots of different communities that are picking up, the, picking up what we're putting down in, in sustainable uh, commuting. So, you know, Elizabeth, sometimes uh, when we're talking about sustainability and, and living greener and whatnot, it, some people say, oh, leave that to the hippies, right? There's just a certain group of people that are concerned about this. But we're all doing a much better job in terms of uh, not only uh, investigating alternative ways for transportation, but also recycling at home. just read an article uh, just from yesterday that uh, we're getting better at and better at recycling and diverting our garbage away from the landfill, which has got to be good news. Totally. And the needs of Canadians and our environmental 
um, successes change over time. So 20, 30 years ago, no one was recycling, and it took organizations, actually Green Action Centre used to be called a resource conservation Manitoba, who dealt with um, or who promoted recycling and really got the ball rolling on that regard. So as, you know, we evolve and we uh, create better practices in our home and community, you know, we can rise to the next challenge. And with commuter challenge, like, Sometimes the challenge is riding your bike to work for the first time and navigating navigating downtown streets. Sometimes it's inviting someone into your car so you have less of a carbon footprint and carpooling. You know, for some people, they already do this every day, all week. The challenge might be to recruit a friend and actually encourage members of your community to get involved. Is there any, you, you raise a uh, good point there by talking about navigating downtown streets or what have you for the first time. Is there any danger for people who want to maybe try this out but haven't? Like, let's say I have a bike, but I only use it on trails. If I want to take my bike to work, I would probably have to go on streets that I'm just not used to riding my bike on. So that would seem scary to me. Well, totally. And I think as uh, in my own experience, when I first started biking downtown, it was quite daunting. But, I mean, now I I feel very comfortable navigating the streets. Some of it is just... Um, trial and error, doing it and getting more comfortable. But one thing that people might not realize is that the route that they take to work on the bus or in their car is not the same route that you will bike on. So you can go to um, download, the city of Winnipeg has a bike map that you can download as a PDF, and you can actually see where there are protected bike lanes, where there are those painted bike lanes, and you can map a safer route for yourself that you might not have even realized was an option. So instead of just taking the same driving route, you can explore new ways of getting to work. And it doesn't really veer you off course too much, but it can encourage you to find a safer route. A lot of times with these things, it's just a matter of doing them once, right? And not even realizing that it was a viable option. Yeah, totally. And I know from, I mean, my experience with biking to work or biking to uh, friends' houses or events, it feels so great. You feel really alive and, um, you know, the wind's rushing through your hair and you're getting active and you're enjoying the sunshine. And um, even when busing to work, I'm able to, you know, think about my uh, my day in advance and have some time to check my email on my phone. Um, likewise, if I'm walking, um, I don't get to check my email. I get to just have like a half an hour where I'm uh, in my own head and enjoying the uh, my environment and just um, taking my own pace to work. Great way to unplug. Mm-hmm. Wanted to ask you, uh, since you say that you do take your bike to work, what is your relationship with motorists when you're on your bike? Uh, pretty positive. Like I said, I actually map a, a route where there's some protected bike lanes and more bike-friendly, low low traffic routes that I find um, are really helpful. I wouldn't just take one route that I would drive on or, or and, and bus on is Portage Avenue to work. We work downtown uh, in the exchange and I wouldn't take Portage Avenue all the way on my bike. Some people do. That's like the best way and and more direct route. But I choose to take a a little bit of a longer route and it's a bit safer for me. But um, there's all sorts of commuters and all sorts of levels of of like how people feel comfortable on the road. So what would would be your alternate route to, to Portage Avenue? Well, I live in West Broadway region, so I'll take a Cinnaboyne um, by the river, oh, cut, und- cut under the legislature, legislative building, and, and then up into the Exchange District area. It's it's beautiful. It's a beautiful commute. There's other greenways and um, clo- protected bike lanes too that you might not even be aware of that are on your route that you can try out. You mentioned also. I mean, part of the commuter challenge you said is that we can walk. 
And one of the things that that I notice when I'm walking to work is I'm constantly having to look over my shoulder because there are people who are on their bikes on a footbridge, which is clearly marked with a sign that says, get off of your bike. And and I I almost get run over every day by cyclists. So how should I be going about my day to coexist with these cyclists who are disrespecting the signs that are being put up for them? Well, I guess, you know, like you're saying, look behind you, keep your wits about you. But really, it is an ongoing conversation because there's different levels of cycling education and road road safety, understanding of road safety in Winnipeg. So generally, um, you know, it is illegal for bikes to bike on the sidewalks, but it's also for a lot of some people, it is the safest option. Although we do encourage people to drive on the road and not bike on pedestrian paths. It, as a, I mean, as a pedestrian myself, I feel like just being aware of and being open to sharing that space with another active person, a person trying to decrease their carbon footprint that are also just trying to get to work um, and sharing and trying to share that space if people aren't able to feel comfortable on the road um, doing that. And I'm not. What I'm, your, not what, I'm curious what your experience has been. If you've if you've had a positive experience, you know, sharing that space, or if or, or if something has come up. Well, it's it's just, and it's not. I'm not suggesting like don't ride your bike. I'm, but I'm just suggesting if you're going to go on a footbridge that has a sign that says you're supposed to get off of your bike and walk it across the bridge, that you you should, you should do that. But. Yeah. Uh, so I like I haven't personally had any run-ins, but I'm just waiting for there's well, there's one point where you're coming off of the bridge, and if and I've seen people come screaming off of that bridge at full speed on their bikes. Mm. So if I'm walking up that, I'm just waiting for one day that I'm gonna there's gonna be a collision. So I'm anticipating that, and I I fear it. Well, I know that that can be you know a contentious issue for people, and. I mean, more cyclists on the road and more cycling education is is going to benefit benefit that scenario for sure. Okay, and I'm not trying to declare war on cyclists. I think it's great, and I, no, I if I if I wasn't such a scaredy cat, I would ride a bike too. But uh, <laughs> I, I'll admit, I, I I tried riding my bike once, I think on Regent Avenue, and I think oh, that, that was, was the your last first mistake. <laughs> and, I, and I think I said, you know what, that's it. I I'll, I don't need a bike anymore. <laughs> I'm too old for this. So. <laughs> well, then I guess you'll be walking, taking transit, or carpooling next week. I walk to work every day so <laughs> oh, Brett's that's awesome at it uh, Elizabeth thank you for your time on this we really appreciate it and uh, good luck next week maybe we'll catch up with you uh, on Wednesday or Thursday and see how the numbers are rolling in totally I would like to mention that there are some amazing prizes to be won that we didn't get a chance to talk about we have over like $5,000 in prizes we have free donuts for a year from Ode Donuts tickets to Folk Fest one night stay at the Fairmont um, free transit for a year so that's well over $1,000 nice uh, prize. It's going to be awesome. So if you just go to greenactioncenter.ca, you can log your kilometers next week and happy commuting. Right on. Elizabeth Shearer, thank you so much uh, for enlightening us about Commuter Challenge. Again, commuterchallenge.ca and as well, all those prizes there through the Green Action Center. That's free transit for a year. That's that's awesome. That's Get on that. Yeah, that's a great prize. Uh, your forecast is coming up next. It's 224 on this Friday afternoon. I was expecting balloons and confetti to fall from the sky here <laughs> in the studio. We've broken our uh, record from 1934, 32.2 degrees 
uh, we will let Environment Canada uh, establish whether or not we officially break the record. They have some official thermometer somewhere yeah. at the airport or at the forks. But here at 680 CJOB, it is 33 degrees. That's exciting stuff. Uh, so hopefully you can get out and enjoy the weekend in some capacity, whether it's with the Winnipeg Rowing Club. They are having their open house tomorrow afternoon from 12 until 4 at 20 Lindale Drive. Or if you want to start logging kilometers for the Commuter Challenge, again, uh, Green Action Centre. They had tons of prizes up for grabs. I'm just going to see if I can find those. Uh, greenactioncenter.ca. One of those prizes was free transit for a year. Nice. So that uh, you can begin logging your kilometers on Sunday. That runs from June 4th until the 10th, the Commuter Challenge. And you can get more information on the challenge itself at uh, commuterchallenge.ca. Cirque du Soleil, Curios, Cabinet of Curiosities gets underway tonight under the big top, Sterling Lion Parkway and Keniston. We will have tickets to give away later on this afternoon. We'll visit with Hal Anderson, our weekly Friday visit with him to find out what he's got planned for you this week. And uh, when we come back following global news and weather with Brett McGarry, we will visit with Dr. Cyrus Dirksen. We'll talk about why are we fans? Why do we become fanatics of whether it's a rock and roll band, a hockey team, a football team, comic books, what engages us and for the most part, it's sort of a one-way relationship. Yeah, because Dave Grohl doesn't care that Greg Mackling sits at his Don't, desk in the newsroom no, and loves yes, the Foo he does. No, he doesn't. I no. just said the Foo Fooders, by the, the way. Foo Fooders, the Foo <laughs> Fighters. I got, I went down a rabbit hole yesterday, and this is kind of what got me thinking about it. That you know, here's a guy he writes this music, performs it. And I get emotionally attached and worked up watching his music. He has no idea I exist. He liked my 140 bucks when I went to see him in St. Paul a year and a half ago. But I'm just a number to Dave Grohl. Why do I care so much when he essentially doesn't? We'll ask Dr. Cyrus after Global News at 2.30. That's a video that's received 37,678,700, now 76 views. It features the Rockin' 1000 group that got together in Sassena, Italy a couple of years ago in order to encourage the Foo Fighters to come play their small town in Italy. So what do they do? They get together about 250 drummers, a bunch of guitarists, some singers, put together this concert, this video, one song. They worked on it for months and months. How many drummers was it? I think it was about 250 drummers. Okay. And they uh, sent the video. It went viral. Dave Grohl says, in Italian, we will be there. (laughs) And he upheld his promise. But it got me thinking. I was watching this video yesterday and the video from the subsequent concert. Why do we come become (laughs) such fanatics about things that Yes, I know I'm getting something emotionally out of the music, but Dave Grohl doesn't care if I ever buy another CD or concert ticket. So this is the question we pose to our good friend, Dr. Cyrus Dirksen, joining us this afternoon through until 3 o'clock. I'm Greg. He's Brett. So, Dr. Cyrus, what drives us to become fans? Well, I was reading one one theory, and it was, it was interesting. It was kind of called the terror management theory. And I thought that was kind of interesting. And basically, they would say that it all boils down to a fear of death. Oh, great. What? <laughs> <laughs> so okay, we could draw the link, but uh, <laughs> it might take a few stops to get there. 
you know, one of the big ones, and I think we can't get away from saying it, is, uh, you know, it feels good to belong. It feels good to be part of an in-group. You know, the psychological term would be in-group versus out-group, our social identity theory. And it just feels good to be part of an in-group. It feels good to be part of something bigger than yourself. And uh, I think it helps us with our self-esteem. And it helps us feel like we're having a relationship, uh, you know, when... And it's actually, usually it's a pretty good relationship because it's hard to get rejected by something so distant from yourself. And uh, so it's safe, generally, unless they lose. Uh, and it feels like you're, you know, you're part of something bigger than yourself. And that's where they get this terror management theory. It's like you're part of something that's bigger. You're part of something that's going to carry on after you die. And it's meaningful. And you could consider it a form of worship in a way. And uh, so it's and I think a lot of people would actually use the word religion when they're talking about fan clubs and things like that, part of the Harry Potter religion or whatever it is. And, uh, you know, that's it just gives you this comfort inside. You mentioned that it feels safe uh, mm. unless they lose. So specifically in that case, we'd be talking about sports. Mm. And that's actually one of the reasons why I, I kind of stopped paying attention to sports because <laughs> I, I the team I cheered for always lost because in the, I was a basketball fan. And mm -hmm. I, I was never so much fans of of specific teams, but I was rooted against the Chicago Bulls. Oh. So naturally, I, Silly boy. I picked the wrong horse for six, for six years. Michael Jordan ruined my life. So uh, what is, how can somebody, I guess, deal with the, the, the pain that can be associated with being a fan of a losing team? It's <laughs> so funny. I, I hadn't thought of kind of an anti-club, you know, like a, an anti-Bulls fan. Like it's not a fan club. What would that be? I don't know. Like a, but anyway, it's some kind of, but it's still a group, I would think. I was still belonging, and it's kind of, but anyway, that's interesting. I think that uh, generally with speaking, when, P, uh, when teams win, you have this uh, term that they call basking. They kind of bask in the glory, and they will wear the uniform, and they will feel wonderful, and they'll use terms like we, we won, uh, shared identity, I am part of the win. And unfortunately, sometimes these teams do lose. And generally speaking, then you get the fickle versus the true. And for the true fan, they will continue to wear the colors. And they often have an emotional consequence. Uh, for the more fickle fans, they will use words like they lost. And the we kind of goes out the window. And they're not going to wear the colors the next day. That's for sure. And they may not go to the next game kind of thing. So, uh, you know, when you're basking, you know, you're part of the same club. When you're losing, sometimes, uh, you know, you abandon ship. And sometimes it takes longer to abandon ship than others. Uh, six years or one game, you never know. Um, but they're real realities and they really affect people's emotions. Well, and there seems to be a different stratus mm -hmm. of fan, right? Yes. You have super fans, those that live and die mm -hmm. uh, with their teams. And you know what? I'm glad you brought up religion because for a lot of people, it is a religion. It yep. is their identity is so closely tied to the mm -hmm. fate and the, the wins and losses of their teams mm -hmm. or uh, the music that their bands put out or the comic books that are mm -hmm. presented in the movies, right? You, you just you live and die with these things on, on different levels. And then there are others that, that can go back and forth and yeah. they're, they're the not bandwagon such a big deal. fans, kind right? Of, yeah. Exactly. You mm -hmm. know, to the point of 
uh, you know, we've got this rivalry with Saskatchewan in, in Canadian <laughs> football, right? The Blue mm-hmm. Bombers and Saskatchewan, maybe the, the most vaunted and heated rivalry between two teams within this league. And then I'll hear people say, well, but uh, if the Bombers don't make it to the Grey Cup and Saskatchewan does, I'll just cheer for Saskatchewan. Mm. I'm, I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> How do you cheer for Saskatchewan? We, we hate them. They're our largest rival. You know, like when the Jets left in 96 and people said, well, I'm just going to cheer for Edmonton now. Are you kidding me? You can't cheer for the Oilers. They were our, our biggest rival. And, and then the Flames. And You know, so th- there are some people, and I put my hand up, mm-hmm. that take it to a whole other level where, mm. You know, you can't even separate uh, your disdain for your opposition long enough to cheer for them, even though your team is completely out of it. Right. And and it's kind of ironic because I think in some ways you have way more in common than, you know, an Oilers fan or a Saskatchewan fan than you do with most of the rest of the population. hundred percent. You know, you are very similar in a lot of ways because they're a fan too. And yet... They are, you know, this possible person who could be a very close friend uh, because they're so similar to you is part of the out group. And I mean, when you talk about out groups in sports, it's kind of benign, but I, I think that, or it can usually is benign, I should say, the, but out groups are, are awful things, generally speaking. You know, it happens with, uh, you know, with race or with economics or with lots of other things in society and out groups and, you know, they get they get a lot of heat from other groups and depends which group is more powerful. But it's the same dynamic. And uh, and it's also kind of fun. Like it's when you kind of think of these rivalries, it's usually people like to be part of power dynamics. You know, mm-hmm. it's the same thing as kind of rubbernecking when you're watching an ambulance. It's like there's a power shift in the world when you see somebody coming out of a car, you know, uh, their world was just kind of potentially destroyed. And, and in some ways, I think human beings are fascinated by power. So when you see these kind of big teams come up against each other with their followings, it's kind of a way to participate in, a, in almost a war without actually anybody getting hurt. Traffic tip here. Collision in the middle of the intersection of Broadway and Gary. Crash Broadway at Gary. There is emergency crews on scene. Again, that's right in the middle of that intersection. I just want to also quickly point out here, I, I was trying to remember why did I actually cheer against Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. <laughs> it's because in their first title, they they beat Magic Johnson and the Los Angeles Lakers. So I cheered against them mm. uh, after that. But that leads to my next question. You know, why does being a fan of one thing often mean that you can't be a fan of another? You know, for example, if you like the Los Angeles Lakers, does that mean you can't be a fan of the Boston Celtics? Or if I, you like Marvel Comics, can, does that mean you can't go see Wonder Woman tonight because she's DC? Read the other example. Oh, I'm getting there. <laughs> I'm getting there. Or can you be a fan of both the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, Dr. Cyrus? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> what are we talking about? Okay, yes. This makes sense, I think. You know, often times, you know, people who are part of one in-group and then try to be part of the other in-group, you know, are betrayers, you know, betrayers. And so this is not an individual isolated phenomenon. Even though you may be sitting at home alone watching the television, you are not alone when you are a fan of a team. And that's why people like it, because they're not alone, even when they might be. And so when you cheer for both teams, you are betraying this kind of imaginary, if you're at home alone, group. 
And nobody wants to be a betrayer. And, and it's kind of a measure of how true of a fan are you? You know, if you're really part of that in-group, then you would never betray the group. And so this is kind of that thing of this is, it may seem individual, so it kind of seems silly. If it's an individual thing, why can't you just enjoy every game and cheer for everybody? Just cheer for the winner. But you're not alone and when you're a fan. And that is why you can't betray your people. So that may account for the reason why large groups of fans and fans of popular teams that have been traditionally unsuccessful manage to keep the faith. They keep the faith. Right. Keeping the faith in suffering is a hallmark of true faith. And so if you are a fan who keeps the colors on when your team loses or after years of losing, your esteem grows and then you can tell the story later on of how all the bandwagon fans come along and you're like, I was here through the decades. I am the true fan and I get to be your leader now. And, uh, and so this is a way of, of gaining importance and power and esteem and uh, living through the dry years. So why is that loyalty such a badge of honor for people? Well, I think it's because you want to brag about the fact that I told you, I told you one day, you know, it's funny. People want to be powerful. You know, I remember working in the prison. Maybe I said it here before, but you know, even if it's being the most powerful inmate in a prison, you know, like what are you really powerful over here? You know, Uh, but they still want it. They still want it. Want to be the leader of, of whatever this group is. And uh, so, you know, I'm not saying that fans are a bunch of criminals, but I am saying that if you have a group of fans, if you have any group, they're going to start playing King of the Hill and they're going to want to be at the top of the at the top of the heap. And I think uh, in your Talking about loyalty and sticking with a team forever, I think of our old buddy Mike Grosvenor, who used to work here, who's a fan of the Cleveland Browns, mm-hmm. who have never appeared in the Super Bowl, although they have won NFL championships. Oh, back in black and white, yes, of course. <laughs> but, and he's still a loyal fan. Poor Mike Grosvenor. <laughs> 246 on 680 CJOB. Dr. Cyrus is here. We'll have a look at your forecast up next. Dr. Cyrus is here. Registered psychologist, his website, drcyrus.com. And we're talking about what drives us to become fans and remain fans. This was inspired by Greg sitting at his desk, rocking out to some Foo Fighters, watching the video of the, the little town and was it Italy? Yes, Asena, Italy. A thousand people get together and say, please come see us. We love you. And of course, the Foo Fighters being who they are and Dave Grohl being who it is. Yeah, of course we'll come because mm-hmm. he's just one of those guys. And that's maybe the connection. It's not only to the music, but the, the guy behind the music. And we were talking off air about this idea of when the Jets left Winnipeg in 96. I did the unspeakable thing, as did uh, my two brothers. We became Phoenix Coyotes fans. Because after the names on the front of the jersey, and Winnipeg was always first and foremost, the names on the back of the jersey start to mean something, right? Once they've been part of the team for a little while. So when you run out of options, uh, there's a different type of loyalty that comes into effect at that point. And so the idea of cheering for the team with Teppo Newman in now changes everything, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean... I mean, I, I think when we were talking, it was kind of like that's it's it's almost like a kind of a subgrouping or a, a different understanding of being a fan. And fans can kind of argue about how to be fans. And it sounds like you have a deep 
a deep understanding of your own fan philosophy and uh, a deeper connection than maybe some others. Yeah, yeah. No, there's no question about that. <laughs> connection is is undeniable. Uh, Cam says here, you know, just because I'm born in Winnipeg, don't assume that I'm a Blue Bomber fan mm. or a Jets fan. He mm-hmm. says in capital letters, go Leafs, go, go Riders, go. Oh, wow. Right? So, uh, and we become fans for different reasons, maybe because our parents like that team or that type of music or our parents mm-hmm. did like that team so we decided to cheer for their arch rival in kind of a sinister <laughs> sort of effect that they like to cheer against what their parents like right so uh, that can happen as well usually it seems to be somewhat arbitrary kind of you know especially for which team you're choosing based on where you live but yeah there's lots of different reasons that people choose interests and and different things like that there's lots of different kinds of fans. One of the ways that that people decide is uh, they decide based on kind of something called the halo effect. If somebody's good at something or great at something, you people will generally begin to assume that they're great at everything. And the halo effect is generally talked about in terms of looks. If you are attractive, people will generally put a halo on you and think that you're coordinated and intelligent and moral um, but that's not necessarily the case. But, and that's what's difficult, you know, in particular with celebrity fandom is when you see a certain celebrity kind of fall from grace, it becomes very upsetting for people and they lose faith, so to speak, in their celebrity. And it's, it's not what we want to believe. It's not consistent with what we want to believe. And so we may abandon just in the same way that the team that we thought was loyal to Winnipeg has left or something like that. Uh, we, want to, we want to believe in these people, and, but they're just regular people, and we don't like to think that way. Are there certain personality traits or people with certain personality traits who are more likely to become big fans? For example, maybe somebody who's a little OCD, uh, mm. leaning particularly on the obsessive part mm-hmm. of that? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I don't have any you know, firm research on that. The fandom research only goes so far. Uh, but I think uh, if I was to kind of make some educated guesses, I would think that people who are extreme fans, uh, you know, people, you know, the more extreme you go in any direction in your, in your psychology, generally speaking, you become somewhat more unhealthy and are more likely to have a painful life. Uh, you know, because of it. So when, you know, generally people who have had some kind of internal pain, you know, because of betrayal or difficulty in their upbringing upbringing are more likely to become addicted to substances and things like that. And I would assume, and it is an assumption or an educated guess, that people who have those kinds of problems are also more likely to become, you know, wrapped up in other people's identity because they just generally don't feel comfortable in their own. I can't say anything after that. <laughs> it, well, being a fan can take a huge, uh, a huge emotional toll oh, on yeah. you, depending on how extreme a fan you are, right? And it, not only that, it, I would imagine it could lead you down a financial oh, rabbit yeah. hole for mm-hmm. the worse. So there are yep. there are some pitfalls, I think, to becoming uh, an extreme fan. There is a research study that looked specifically at that. It was a research on uh, on Harry Potter fans, and uh, they looked at the mental health of Harry Potter fans after they read the last book for the first time, you know, when they finally finished the, the series. And a lot of them exhibited signs of diagnosable major depression. And uh, it really 
had an effect. These were true fans. They couldn't just jump off the bandwagon now that it was over and jump into something else. And they took a, a huge hit uh, as, you know, a lot of their emotions and stuff were wrapped up in looking forward to the next book and the knowledge that it was over, I guess, was a little bit too much. We are out of time, I'm afraid. DrCyrus.com is the website. Dr. Cyrus Dirksen is a registered psychologist talking to us today about why do we become fans. He visits us every Friday at 2.30 on 680 CJOB. Mackling, McGarry, Anderson. Hello, hello. Number 34. Yes, I'm glad I'm in air conditioning today, I'll tell you. <laughs> what are you this trying to say? This is not great fat guy weather. Oh, wait, I'm not fat. Well, I'm still kind of pudgy. This is not great weather for anyone who's not in a bikini. That's true. Let's be frank. Yes. Yeah. No, this is uh, this is warm. And we have now officially broken the record. Yeah, right? environment, because it's been 33 degrees here. With our, We've got something up on the roof that reads the temperature, but the Environment Canada at the airport, their weather station is now 33 degrees. So. Wow. It's official. I don't believe that. I think they were listening to Mackling and McGarry, and they heard us <laughs> yeah. make the call, and they went, right. yeah, let's go with yeah. that. It's like CNN and Fox on election night, right? It's like, <laughs> well, they're making the call. we got to make the call. <laughs> David yeah. Phillips' phone, I'm listening online, yeah, 680 CJOB. Uh, I think we got to make yeah, the call. Let's make the call. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you an interesting weather uh, tidbit if you, if you want, because, of course, my weather expert buddy Bruce Johnson is always filling me with this stuff, right? Um, we hit 30 today. So the forecast, I think originally when I was talking to him yesterday was 30. And so we're chatting and he goes, do you know when we were last 30 degrees in Winnipeg? Oh, is it like August last year? August 28th. It has been, oh, listen to this. And that's, you expect that. But then you think about how long that's been. That is over nine months. That is over nine months since, uh, we were, uh, 30 degrees or more. When it's 23, 24 and I'm sitting on the deck having a beer, Quite often I'll look at Jackie and I'll go, you know, there are places in the world where you can do this like 11 months right. of the year. Why are we right? not there? Yeah, why are we not there? And another little weather tidbit for you. The hottest day of the year last year in yeah. 2016 came in May, believe it or not. In May. 35.4 degrees or whatever. So we could very well today uh, in early June match the hottest day of the last year uh, of, of 2016, which happened to be in May. Weird. Isn't I remember, that nuts? I, it's funny how it, this happens sometimes where it kind of just heats up out of nowhere because yeah. I remember either two years ago or three years ago, there was one week, I think it was June, or maybe it was May. It doesn't matter. It was early. It wasn't yet summer. Yeah. And we went golfing on a Sunday, and I think it was 32 degrees. On Tuesday of that week, so not five days earlier, it was six degrees. Yeah. So the temperature skyrocketed. Only here, man. Only here can that happen. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It was also really hard that day. I had because I hadn't adjusted to the heat. Yeah. I was dogging it. I think I was ready to pass out. Well, yeah. make sure you stay cool, drink your water, and I also mentioned earlier, don't leave your animals yeah. in your car, and don't leave your kids, even if it's for a few seconds to run in. It's just it's not, not worth, worth it. it. No, nope. unbuckle them, take them inside, because tragedy can strike far quicker. And so here's your reminder of that. Hal, what's going on this weekend? Okay. What have you got planned? Hal Anderson weekend, 7 to 10 uh, tomorrow morning and again on Sunday morning. All kinds of stuff. My weather expert buddy, Bruce Johnson, Brett McGarry, of course, will let us know what's uh, happening in theaters this weekend. Uh, Bob Irving, going to talk some bombers with Bob. Wayne McIntosh will be on my show. He is the owner and operator of the Half Moon Drive-In out oh, in Lockport. Oh, nice. Oh, one of my favorite places. M- mine too. 
Uh, Steve McMullen, friend of mine, is going to be here. Winnipeg Residential Power Team. It's a new business club that I'm actually a member of, and it's it's different. So we're going to talk a little about that, about that. Uh, and uh, we've got some fun stuff coming up with them. Craig Strike, the I heard you guys talking uh, with that young man yesterday about the walk to fight arthritis. Craig, yeah, he was great. Uh, Craig St- uh, Strike is going to be here. We're talking about that and giving away uh, Wonder Woman movie passes. And Brett, you said great movie, eh? Yeah, I loved it. It was uh, tremendous fun. Yeah, she's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I'm anxious to see it. So we're giving away passes for that. All kinds of other stuff as well. That's just a bit of it. Can I quickly ask you if you guys are watching House of Cards on Netflix? Because uh, everybody's yeah. talking yes, about this, right? Yes, I'm in uh, uh, episode two. Oh, yeah. Well, we're five in. Oh. Uh, and, we, and we, my wife and I, it's like 1.30 in the morning. Jack and I are watching last night. We're One both more? We're both falling asleep and <laughs> can't stay awake. And so we're five in. Uh, but, you know, I said to her this morning, and she made a really interesting, you know, you're Jackie. You're married to a Jackie. I'm married to a Jackie. Yeah. Do you ever have those moments, and it happens all the time to me, and I'm not saying this out of surprise because I know my wife is incredibly smart. But do you ever have those moments where you go, "Wow, you are like really smart. Why were you so dumb to marry me?" Because uh, <laughs> I said to I said to Jackie, I said, "You know what? I'm enjoying House of Cards because it's a great show." But I said, "I'm not enjoying it as much as I have in the past." And she looks at me and she goes, "I know you." She says, "You're into politics." And she said, "When we watched it in past seasons, you would go, this is crazy. This would never happen.' And you know what? Now it's tame compared to what's really happening." Isn't that the truth? And I looked at her and I went, "You have just nailed it." Absolutely. Jackie uh, said I was watching because I went back and I watched the end of the last two just to kind of get reacclimatized, right. Yeah. right? And Jackie goes, "This feels..." Kind of real. Yeah. She says. Right. Like, yeah, it is. I mean, the only thing missing from the new House of Cards is a comedian holding a bloodied head of Donald Trump or, or uh, Underwood, Francis Underwood. Oh, man. Uh, that's all that's missing. It's it's crazy. It's it's nuts. It really so, is. But it's still a great show. When art, life imitates art yeah. and vice versa, right. it is a little unsettling. Yeah. Yeah. I must confess I have not watched. Got to watch it, Brett. You know what? It's a great, great show. Just phenomenal show. It's on my list. The the problem is I watch so much. I know. But you see what you're doing as one of the couch potatoes. You're watching the stuff in some ways that nobody's talking about, right? Whereas everybody's talking about House of Cards. So I give you a pass on that because I think you're watching shows for a lot of people out there that don't have the time to watch them and you're saying, yeah, it's worth watching or no, it's not. Yeah. No, that's fair. I appreciate that. So there you go. There's your out. (laughs) Thank you, Hal. I'll take it. All right, boys. Have a great day. Thanks, Hallie. Thank you. Uh, And actually, you know what? On the subject of television, too, I should quickly mention, I, I was under the impression Twin Peaks was only available on Crave TV. Okay. Which is false. I was wrong. Where it, is it available? It's also, also available on the movie network, which is a chorus property. Okay. And you are and no wait. Yes. And uh you can go you can watch back on demand on Shaw on Demand. Okay. So yeah, that, I never watched that. Did you watch Twin Peaks back I didn't. in the day? It was a big show because on the radio show, I was on with Ron Abel then. And when I was on with Ron and we had somebody come Wait, on come on Ron every Abel. week. And do an update on the show. So I know it was big because every week we had somebody following that show and talking about it. I must have just missed that one. I was watching Miami Vice or something instead. (laughs) (laughs) You're still, come on, admit it, you're still watching Miami Vice. (laughs) I break up my VHS tapes and I watch uh, Sonny Crockett go to town. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I was wrong. The movie network is not. When it was Movie Central, it was Chorus, but then they sold it off. Oh, did they? Oh, yeah. So so they could focus more on the Disney channels and all that stuff. All right. Crockett and Tubbs for give you yeah yeah i think i'm just gonna stop it's uh we're gonna check your (laughs) forecast and do traffic up next i thought our weather thing just kind of automatically updated i didn't realize i had to refresh it what's that 
I, th- I thought that temperature I, and it everything. It mostly does, but it sometimes. Mostly, so maybe it was just a timing issue. I was trying to help you out there, and it said 33, 34 on yours. I hit refresh. Now it is indeed 34 degrees. He's Brett. I'm Greg. And tonight, uh, the two of us, along with several others uh, from here in uh, Chorus, Winnipeg, are uh, heading to the big top. We're going to be under the big top. I hope that wind and hail and thunderstorms don't impede our evening this evening, and hopefully everybody else stays safe no matter where they are. But we want to give you the opportunity to see this incredible show. We haven't seen it yet. We're going on the words of others that this is going to be a spectacular show. We'll have a review for you next week, but we want to give away some tickets. That's right. Cirque du Soleil Curios Cabinet of Curiosities opens tonight under the big top at Keniston and Sterling Lion. And this question is about your knowledge of Cirque du Soleil. Want to know if you know how many productions is this now for Cirque du Soleil? I.e., Curios is now production number what? 204-780-6868 is the number to call. 204-780-6868 if you can identify how many productions this is now for Cirque du Soleil. You are going to see the show at some point between June 2nd, that's today, and July 9th. How much time do we have before we have to break for sports here? Two minutes. Two minutes. I have a one minute, 25 second clip. A crazy story from last weekend's NASCAR race in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's like this every year after the big race at the Charlotte Motor Speedway. It's a big mess around here. Oh, you expect people to leave cans and normal garbage, but carpets, tarps, living room furniture, a perfectly good ice chest here, but empty. And what's this? There's a swimming pool in between two porta johns Let's not speculate about that. You name it, we found it. It's out there. But just when you thought you'd seen everything that people could drive off without, Well, here's Jody Nash. And they left me too. That's right. When she woke up, her friends were gone. Hey, Mom, I'm okay. I'm still here in turn two. And hoping those friends remember. Y'all come get me. She did find a tent someone left behind, so at least she's got a place to stay tonight if need be, she said. Meanwhile, the work to get everything else out of here kicked into high gear. Now, once they're done cleaning everything up, they're not done. They have to come back and rehab the property, put down some grass seed, fill in the holes, level things out. They're going to be working on this for many weeks to come. There is a lot of work left for these guys. Whole lot of trash. As for Jody, well, at last check, she was still waiting, but thought someone would be along soon. I'm hanging. Turn two. At the Charlotte Motor Speedway, Steve Onisorge, WBTV, on your side. I guess we don't want to head down there and give Jody a ride. I'm guessing that everything's a okay. I would hope so. <laughs> this gigantic field and this gigantic motor speedway, 100,000 people, and they leave their friend behind. Tisk, tisk, tisk. We'll have a look at your forecast coming up in two minutes. Well, by accident, this has become Fitness Friday, and why not? It's 34 degrees. Get out. Get your rear end moving. Yep. Right? You're losing You're losing pounds by the minute out there today. You barely have to be moving. That's true. Yeah, my walk home is going to be a little melty, I suspect. Melty? Yes. I like the way you're 
Yeah, that's good. <laughs> so tomorrow, so we've, okay, just to recap the fitness stuff, we talked about right. how there's the open house tomorrow with the Winnipeg Rowing Club. And then at 2 o'clock, we talked about the commuter challenge, which begins Sunday and runs through the 10th. And tomorrow is also National Health and Fitness Day across Canada. And if you want more information on that, just Google that and it'll take you to the participation website, participation.com. To talk a little bit about this and another event that's happening on Sunday is Paige Zaprazan, who is a holistic health coach. She visited with us a couple of weeks ago and thought we'd bring her back to talk about health and fitness. So thanks for coming back, Paige. Thanks for having me. So Health and Fitness Day, uh, I guess this is an event that's, you know, encouraging people to, to get moving. So... I, it's kind of a broad question to say, well, do you have any tips for us? So <laughs> let me give you something specific I, because I know that like I am trying to at least lose some weight, mm-hmm. uh, shed some pounds that I gained while I was trying to deal with quitting smoking. So one of the things that I sometimes wonder is what's more important, a good night's sleep or exercise? And I don't mean choose one, but I mean right. in the event that you... You, you, you're or forced, sacrificing. Or forced to pick one or the other. Yeah, like do I want to sacrifice sleep for exercise or should I leave the exercise for that day? That's a good question. Um, I'm I'm a believer that both are really important. I think if you don't have one without the other, they both are so interrelated. Um, if you don't have a good night's sleep, you are exhausted in the morning. You can't execute your fitness routine as properly. Um, you crave more food. Your metabolism slows down a bit. So they both are really important. Um, you crave for, you, you, a poor sleep makes you want to eat more. Yeah, because you're sleep deprived. So it actually slows down your metabolism. So you aren't able to convert energy as quickly. So you gain weight and you crave more food because you want more energy. So um, exercise and sleep are both important. Sleep, you are your body's healing and it's repairing its blood vessels. It prevents heart disease. Um, you know, diabetes, all those things that we want to be preventative on. And exercise is doing the same thing. So it's they're both important. I think you need one and you need the other. Um, if you're finding you are sleeping more and exercising less or exercising more, not sleeping as much, I think it's you have to look at time management. You know, what are you doing in your day? Are you blocking up chunks of time that you can fit it in? Maybe at lunch, I'm going to go for 10 minutes instead of feeling stressed and overwhelmed that I have to get this like hour, two hour workout in the evening when I don't have the time. So I believe both are equally important and you need one, you need them both together to function properly. I'm guessing if you exercise on a regular basis, you may even sleep better. Yeah, exactly. You know what? Exercise lowers depression rates, anxiety, stress. Um, you get a good night's sleep. So they both are very interrelated and interconnected. So you I mentioned to you off the air while Brett was reading the news, the idea I've been trying to motivate myself and I was talking to my buddy Kevin yesterday and he says, yeah, you can do it. You've done it before. You can get moving again. And I made the assimilation to courage. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I tell my kids the problem with bungee jumping, if you're afraid of bungee jumping is to get the courage to do it, you actually, unfortunately, you have to do it typically. And I think it might be the same thing with exercise because exercise becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You exercise mm-hmm. more Ironically enough, you end up with more energy. Yeah, it's addicting. You and some people you see who are addicted to exercise, 
not in a bad way, but a good way because it makes you feel so good. And your energy's up. You're able to, um, you know, function more on a day-to-day basis throughout your tasks. Your mind's a bit more clear. If you're feeling stressed or anxious or depressed, it clears your mind, resets you. So um, I think it's something everyone should be doing. Again, it takes, if you're not used to implementing an exercise routine, it's about taking the baby steps and implementing small things, you know, a couple times every single day or once a day evaluate how you're doing after a couple of weeks and then implement a little bit more. So it's not overwhelming to do like an hour workout session at a time if you're not used to that. Put it in bite-sized chunks. You bite-sized mentioned that. Bite-sized chunks. Yes. Yeah. Daily habits. We we are creatures of habits, um, but it takes time to um, really adjust new learning habits of a new routine. So if we're doing a certain habit for X amount of years, but we haven't been exercising and throwing in at you two hours of exercise is a lot. So it's breaking it down in chunks and creating new routines um, every single day that work for you and your current lifestyle. What about eating, uh, particularly, I think, of snacking, Mm -hmm. eating in the evening? How bad is that? I get that question asked a lot. Um, You know what? I always tell my clients to make sure you aren't eating at least a couple hours before you go to bed. Um, Your body is at rest when you are sleeping. It's still digesting, but not as much. So if you're having a whole hearty meal before you're going to bed, that's sitting there. And a lot of the food and your stomach juices are kind of lined up and pushing against the esophagus, which can and create acid reflux, um, as well as like heartburn and um, can create a lot of indigestion. So people who wake up in the morning feel a bit bloated and had a huge hearty meal the night before, it's just been sitting there and not digesting properly. Um, so anything that's kind of not high in fiber or protein or really fatty deep fried foods, try to avoid before bed because those are harder to digest. Yeah, you can I'm, eat them any other time. Just don't eat them before <laughs> any bed. Any other time, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I bring the I brought the question up because I That's for a, a while question. I I was able to eliminate that from my diet. Mm-hmm. I because I always used to be uh, when I was I mentioned the quitting smoking. I I snacked and snacked and snacked and snacked to replace the smoking, and then I was finally able to get over that, and then mm-hmm. actually get over the sm- the snacking. But it seems to have made its way back into my diet just in this past week, and I can feel it. I can see mm-hmm. it. I can feel it, and I don't like it. Uh, so I just needed somebody, an actual expert, to tell me that it's not just a myth. Yeah. It sounds like it's not. It's not a myth at all. No. Okay. Well, I, wanna, I have a couple of questions about water, but yeah. uh, we have to break and uh, update traffic and weather. We'll ask about water and the role of the, it's kind of magical water. It is. We know it's an essential part of life, but you can trick your body with water, right? Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Good at H2O. Good. <laughs> we'll have a look at traffic and weather together in two minutes. It is 34 degrees at 680 CJOB. And uh, I should also mention forecast in the studio calls for Torque Beer. Thanks to our friends at Torque Beer. They just dropped off 24 cans of What the Hell is Lager, so I'm just going to... Yeah, that's good. Weather is for the Club Region Event Center presenting the off-Broadway hit Dixie's Tupperware Party, June 9th. Tickets available through Ticketmaster. Visit casinos at winnipeg.com for details. So I want to talk about water, and now we have this uh, beautiful form of water with hops and barley and and other sorts of accoutrements to uh, wet our whistle. Uh, I have to ask you, Paige, this idea that we can trick our body with Mm -hmm. water into uh, making ourselves feel a little bit more full, Mm -hmm. kickstarting our metabolism. Tell us a few tricks as it pertain to water because I got some advice yesterday. Uh, all due respect to my buddy, he's not as knowledgeable as you are or it may turn out he might be right. more knowledgeable than I thought. 
Yeah, water is so important, and it does some really cool things. Um, our first of our brain is made up of over 85% water, so we do need to be hydrating so we can think sharp and be able to execute the things we can. Um, it, yeah, it kickstarts your digestive system. Uh, first thing in the morning, you are the most dehydrated, so it's really important to have a glass or two of water when you first wake up. Um, a fun tip is adding lemon to your water. It not only tastes delicious, but if you squeeze a whole lemon, um, it cleans out your liver, so it detoxifies your body, kickstarts your digestion, adds vitamin D. Um, all of our bodies um, have vitamin D receptors, so we do need that in our system, and um, creates helps you lose weight too. So um, also a glass of water before you have a meal, about 15 minutes beforehand, helps you um, digest your system as well and makes you feel a little bit more full, so you're able to maybe portion control a little bit better. Oh, re- oh that's actually yeah. interesting. That's, that's a great suggestion. Yeah, mm-hmm. Kevin, my buddy Kevin McDonald gave me that uh, suggestion yesterday. Yesterday. So, Kev, you, uh, right. get a, you get a passing grade. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> that's for sure. Why is it, though, that, because uh, a buddy of mine, I, he I think he was in some sort of a photo shoot. He was doing some modeling, and he <laughs> he didn't drink water for like three days before the shoot because he wanted to look as ripped as possible. And from what I understand, yeah. this is kind of kind of a common thing with yeah. fitness models and what have you? I think, um, yeah, like bodybuilding or bikini competitions and all that stuff, they dehydrate their bodies a few days beforehand. Um, again, that's why you see your defined figures and your abs and all your muscles in your body because you've de- dehydrated the heck out of your system. So I'm not a fan of it. I think it's not good on the body, but everyone has their own um, opinions on that one. But it's, I mean, your your body does need water. You need to be staying hydrated to function on a day-to-day basis, physically, mentally, all those things. Um, but for competitions like that, they do dehydrate their bodies. And what we've got a couple... Paige Zaprazan is a guest, by the way. She's a holistic. My, uh, you read my mind. <laughs> she is a holistic health coach. We brought her here to talk about National Health and Fitness Day, which is tomorrow. But we have a couple of minutes, and I want to make sure to give her some time to just quickly tell us once again. You told us about it a couple of weeks ago, but it's an event happening tomorrow. It's the uh, I wrote it down here. It's the the girls empowerment event happening mm-hmm. at the yoga bar. So what can you tell us about that in like 60 seconds or less? Yeah. Okay. Um, so it's this Sunday at the yoga bar from 12 to three. It's for girls ages five to 15. And it's really about um, an afternoon to empower young girls to stay active in sport. Um, sport offers us so many amazing life skills and we want girls to be active in it. The dropout rate is really high right now for young girls. Um, so it's going to be, we're going to have an Olympic um, silver medalist Janine Stevens coming to speak to us um, or to the girls, a yoga session, nutrition ses- session for the girls to learn about healthy eating and a dreams and goals and positive self-talk um, exercise. So we are, we're really excited about it. Can you still get tickets for it? They are still available. So you can go on Eventbrite um, and type in uh, Girl Empowerment Event Winnipeg and they are still available. Tim is asking real quick before we let you go, does lemon extract work or does it have to be real lemon? No, you can do lemon extract. Um, Anything, just the juice of the lemon is awesome. I think, uh, yeah, as much as lemon you can get in there, not just a slice, but the actual juice itself is uh, you're good to go. Paige, we got to go. But if somebody wants to get in touch with you Mm -hmm. as a holistic health coach, is there a way they can do that? Yeah. um, I have a website, www.pagethaprazan.com, or you can follow me on Instagram Instagram, at Paige Thaprazan. All right, Paige. Well, thank you so much. And once again, thanks to our friends at Torque Brewing, who just brought us uh, 24 cans of What the Hellas Torque uh, Lager. It's uh, very good. I'm just going to have... Friday just got Hellas good. 
It's Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB. Oh, but before I run away, I got to tell you what's the forecast for the cottage country for the Interlake, Grand Beach, and the White Shell. Brought to you by South Beach Casino and Resort. Golf time! South Beach has teamed up with four of the best courses in Manitoba. Packages start at $180. Group packages available. Book your getaway. Mainly cloudy tonight. Very good chance of showers or thunderstorms. Windy, low 18. And again, this is Interlake, Grand Beach, and the White Shell. Sunny tomorrow. Mix of sun and cloud in the afternoon, though. Windy, high 28, sunny on Sunday with highs between 27 and 30. That's your Cottage Country forecast on 680 CJOB.